Book four, chapter two of the History of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book four, chapter two, telling how Vanity Fair made acquaintance with Richard Carmody. There was no refusing belief to the fact. The old cloistered life at Brockhurst, for good or evil, was broken up. Catherine Carmody recognised that another stage had been reached on the relentless journey, that new prospects opened, new horizons invited her anxious gaze. She recognised also that all which had been was dead, according to its existing form, and should receive burial, silent, somewhat sorrowful, yet not without hope of eventual resurrection in regard to the nobler part of it the fair coloured petals of the flower fall away from the maturing fruit the fruit rots to set free the seed yet the vital principle remains life lives on though the material clothing of it change and therefore catherine an upspringing of patience and chastened fortitude within her the result of her reconciliation to the divine light and resignation of herself to its indwelling set herself not to arrest the falling of the flower but to help the ripening of the seed if the old garments were out of date too straight and narrow for her child's growth then let others be found him she did not wait to have him ask she offered and that without hint of reproach or of unwillingness. Yet so to offer cost her not a little, for it was by no means easy to sink her natural pride, and go forth smiling with this son of hers, at once beautiful and hideous in person, for all the world to see. Something of personal heroism is demanded of whoso prescribes heroic remedies, if those remedies are to succeed. At night, alone in the darkness, Catherine, suddenly awaking, would be haunted by perception of the curious glances and curious comments which must of necessity attend Richard through all the brilliant pageant of the London season. How would he bear it? And then, self-distrust laying fearful hands upon her, how would she bear it too? Would her late-acquired serenity of soul depart, her faith in the gracious purposes of Almighty God suffer eclipse? Would she fall back into her former condition of black anger and revolt? She prayed not. So long as these evils did not descend upon her, she could bear the rest well enough. For could she but keep her faith, Catherine was beginning to regard all other suffering which might be in store for her as a negligible quantity. With her healthy body and wholesome memories of her great and perfect human love, it was almost impossible that she should adopt a morbid and self-torturing attitude. Yet any religious ideal worth the name will always have in it an ascetic element, and that element was so far present with her that personal suffering had come to bear a not wholly unlovely aspect. She had ceased to gird against it, so long as Richard was amused and fairly content, so long as the evil which had been abroad in brockhurst house that stormy autumn night could be frustrated and the estrangement between herself and richard unacknowledged yet sensibly present which that evil had begotten might be lessened she cared little what sacrifices she made what fatigue exertion even pain she might be called on to endure 
an enthusiasm of self-surrender animated her during the last five months slowly and with stumbling feet yet very surely she had carried her life and the burden of it up to a higher plane and from that more elevated standpoint she saw both past events and existing relationships in perspective according to their just and permanent values only one object one person refused to range itself and stood out from the otherwise calm if pensive landscape as a threatening danger a monument of things wicked and fearful catherine tried to turn her eyes from that object for it provoked in her a great hatred a burning indignation sadly at variance with the saintly ideals which had so captivated her mind and heart catherine remained and always would remain happily for others very much a woman and as woman and mother she could not but hate that other woman who had as she feared come very near seducing her son therefore very various causes combined to reconcile her to the coming adventure indeed she set forth on it with so cheerful a countenance that richard while charmed was also a trifle surprised by the alacrity with which she embraced it he regarded her somewhat critically questioning whether his mother was of a more worldly and light-minded disposition than he had heretofore supposed there had been some talk of julius march joining the contemplated exodus but he had declined smiling rather sadly no no he said to go would be a mistake and a weakly selfish one on my part i have long ceased to be a man of cities and am best employed and indeed am most at my ease herding my few sheep here in the wilderness i am part and parcel of just all that which we have agreed it is wise you shall leave behind you for a while my presence would lessen the thoroughness of the change of scene and of thought you take up a way of life which was familiar to you years ago the habits of it will soon come back i have never known them i should be a hindrance rather than a help no i will wait and keep the lamps burning before the altar and the fire burning upon the hearth until and please god it may be in peace crowned with good fortune you both come back but the adventure fairly embarked on displayed quite other characteristics as is the way with such skittish folks than catherine had anticipated against possibilities of mortification against possibilities of covert laughter and the pointing fingers of the crowd she had steeled herself but it had not occurred to her that both richard's trial and her own might take the form of an exuberant and slightly vulgar popularity and that far from being shoved aside into the gutter the young man might be hoisted with general acclamation on to the very throne of vanity fair the brockhurst establishment moved up to town at the beginning of april and by the end of the month sir richard carmody his wealth his house his horses his dinners his mother's gracious beauty and a certain mystery which surrounded him came to be in every one's mouth a new star had arisen in the social firmament and all and sundry gathered to observe the reported brightness of its shining rich young good-looking well-connected and strangely unfortunate here indeed was a novel and telling attraction among the somewhat fly-blown shows of vanity fair 
many-tongued rumour was busy with dicky's name his possessions and personality the legend of the man a thing often so very other than the man himself grew jonah's gourd-like in wild luxuriance all those many persons who had known lady carmody before her retirement from the world hastened to renew acquaintance with her while a larger and it may be added less distinguished section of society greedy of intimacy with whoso or whatsoever might represent the fashion of the hour crowded upon their heels invitations showered down thick as snowflakes in january to get sir richard and lady carmody was to secure the success of your entertainment whatever that entertainment might be to secure it the more certainly because the two persons in questions exercised a rather severe process of selection and were by no means to be had for the asking all these things ludovic quayle noted in a spirit which he flattered himself was cynical but which was in point of fact rather anxiously affectionate it had occurred to him that this sudden and unlooked-for popularity might turn richard's head a little and develop in him a morbid self-love that vanité de monstre not uncommon to persons disgraced by nature he had feared richard might begin to plume himself as is the way of such persons less upon the charming qualities and gifts which he possessed in common with many other charming persons than upon those deplorable peculiarities which differentiated him from them and it was with a sincerity of relief of which he felt a trifle ashamed that as time went on mr quayle found himself unable to trace any such tendency that he observed his friend's wholesome pride and carefulness to avoid all exposure of his deformity richard would drive anywhere and to any festivity where driving was possible he would go to the theatre and opera he would dine at a few houses and entertain largely at his own house but he would not put foot to ground in the presence of the many women who courted him or in that of the many men who treated him with rather embarrassed kindness and courtesy to his face and spoke of him with pitying reserve behind his back other persons besides mr quayle watched richard carmody's social successes with interest among them was honoria st quentin that young lady had been spending some weeks with sir reginald and lady aldham in midlandshire and had now accompanied them up to town lady aldham's health was indifferent confining her often for days together to the sofa and a darkened room her husband meanwhile possessed a craving for agreeable feminine society liable to be gratified in a somewhat errant manner abroad unless gratified in a discreet manner at home so honoria had taken over the duty for friendship's sake of keeping the well-favoured genial middle-aged gentleman innocently amused to honoria at this period no experience came amiss for the past three years since the death of her godmother lady tobermory and her resultant access of fortune she had wandered from place to place seeing life now in stately english country houses now among the overtaxed underfed women workers of whitechapel and soho now in some obscure italian village among the folds of the purple apennines now she would patronise a middle-class british lodging-house along with some girl-friend richer in talent than in pence in some seaside town 
or now she would fancy the stringent etiquette of a british embassy at foreign court and capital honoria was nothing if not various but amid all mutations of occupation and of place her fearlessness her lazy grace her serious soul her gallant bearing her loyalty to the oppressed remained the same chaste and fair as artemis experimental as the comte de saint-simon himself honoria roamed the world fascinating yet never quite fascinated enthusiastic yet evasive seeking earnestly to live yet too self-centred as yet to be able to recognise in what after all consists the heart of living she and mr quayle had met at oldham revel during the past winter she attracted while slightly confusing that accomplished young gentleman confusing his judgment well understood since mr quayle himself was incapable of confusion her views of men and things struck him as distinctly original her attitude of mind appeared unconventional yet deeply rooted prejudices declared themselves where he would least have anticipated their existence and so it became a favourite pastime of mr quayle's to present to her cases of conscience of conduct of manners or morals usually those of a common acquaintance for discussion that he might observe her verdict he imagined this a scientific psychologic exercise he desired so he supposed to gratify his own superior masculine intelligence by noting the aberrations and arriving at the rationale of her thought from which it may be suspected that even ludovic quayle had his hours of innocent self-deception be that however as it may certain it is that in pursuit of this pastime he one day presented to her the peculiar case of richard carmody for discussion and that not without momentous though indirect result it happened thus one noon in may ludovic had the happiness of finding himself seated beside miss st quentin in the park watching the endless string of passing carriages and the brilliant crowd on foot sir reginald aldham had left his green chair placed on the far side of the young ladies and leaned on the railings talking to some acquaintance a gay maturity ludovic remarked with his air of patronage indicating the elder gentleman's shapely back the term old boy has alas declined upon the vernacular and been put to base uses of jocosity so it is a forbidden one else in the present instance how applicable how descriptive a term should we i wonder give thanks for it miss st quentin that the men of my generation will mature according to a quite other pattern oh, will not ripen but sour honoria asked maliciously her companion's invincible self-complacency frequently amused her then she added but you know i'm very fond of him it isn't altogether easy to keep straight as a young boy is it depend upon it it is ten times more difficult to keep straight as an old one for a man of that temperament it can't be very plain sailing between fifty and sixty mr quayle looked at her in gentle inquiry his long neck directed forward his chin slightly raised sailing oh the yacht is uh... oh the yacht is laid up at cows and you understand perfectly well what i mean honoria replied somewhat loftily her delicate face straightened with an expression of sensitive pride 
but her anger was short-lived she speedily forgave him the sunshine and fresh air the radiant green of the young leaves the rather superb spectacle of wealth vigour and beauty presented to her by the brilliant london world in the brilliant summer noon was exhilarating tending to lightness of heart there was poetry of an opulent resonant sort in the brave show and just then a company of lifeguards clattered by in splendour of white and scarlet and shining helmets the rattle of accoutrements and thud of the hoofs of their trotting horses detached itself arrestingly from the surrounding murmur of many voices and ceaseless roar of the traffic at hyde park corner a light came into honoria's eyes it was good to be alive on such a day moreover in her own purely platonic fashion she really entertained a very great liking for the young man seated at her side you have missed your vocation she said while her eyes narrowed and her upper lip shortened into a delightful smile you were born to be a schoolmaster a veritable pedagogue and terror of illiterate youth you love to correct and my rather sketchy english gives you an opportunity of which i observe you are by no means slow to take advantage you care infinitely more for the manner of saying than for the thing said whereas i she broke off abruptly and her face straightened became serious almost severe again do you see who sir reginald is speaking to she added there are the carmodies a break had come in the loitering procession of correctly clothed men and gaily clothed women of tall hats and many-coloured parasols and in the space thus afforded the brockhurst male phaeton became apparent drawn up against the railings the horses a noticeably fine and well-matched pair of browns were restless notwithstanding the groom at their heads foam whitened the ring of their bits and falling flakes of it dabbled their chests lady carmody leaned sideways over the leather folds of the hood answering some inquiry of sir reginald who hat in hand looked up at her she wore a close-fitting grey velvet coat which revealed the proportions of her full but still youthful figure the air and sunshine had given her an unusual brightness of complexion so that in face as well as in figure youth still in a sensible measure claimed her she turned her head appealing as it seemed to richard and the nimble breeze playing caressingly with the soft white laces and grey plumes of her bonnet added thereby somehow to the effect of glad and gracious content pervading her aspect richard looked round and down at her half laughing unquestionably he was victoriously handsome seen thus uplifted above the throng handling his fine horses all trace of bodily disfigurement concealed a touch of old-world courtliness and tender respect in his manner as he addressed his mother ludovic quayle watched the little scene with close attention then as the ranks of the smart procession closed up again hiding the carriage and its occupants from sight he leaned back with a movement of quiet satisfaction and turned to his companion miss st quentin sat round in her chair presenting her long slender dust-coloured lace and silk-clad person in profile to the passers-by and so tilting her parasol as to defy recognition the expression of her pale face and singular eyes was far from encouraging indeed and why 
Ludovic permitted himself to remark, in tones of polite inquiry. "'I had been led to believe that you and Lady Carmody were on terms of rather warm friendship.' "'We are,' Honoria answered. "'That is, at Brockhurst.' Oh, "'Forgive my indiscretion, but why not in London?' The young lady looked full at him. "'Mr. Quayle,' she asked, "'is it true that you are responsible for this new departure of theirs, for their coming up, I mean?' "'Responsible? Oh, you do me too great an honour. Who am I that I should direct the action of my brother-man?' but lady carmody is good enough to trust me a little and i own that i advocated a modification of the existing regime ludovic crossed his long legs and fell to nursing one knee it is not a breach of confidence to tell you since you know the fact already that fate decreed an alien element should obtrude itself into the situation at brockhurst last autumn i need name no names i think Honoria's head was raised. She regarded him steadfastly, but made no sign. "'Ah, I need not name names,' he repeated. "'I thought not. "'Well, after the alien element removed itself, "'the two facts may have no connection. "'Lady Carmody very certainly never implied that they had. "'But, as I remarked, after the alien element removed itself,' It was observable that our poor, dear Dicky Carmody became a trifle difficult, a trifle distray, in plain English most remarkably grumpy, and far from delightful to live with, and his mother— "'It's too bad, altogether too bad,' broke out Honoria hotly. "'Too bad of whom?' Mr. Quayle asked with the utmost suavity of the nameless obtrusive alien element or of poor dear dick the young lady closed her parasol slowly and turning faced the sauntering crowd again of sir richard carmody of course she said her companion did not answer immediately his eyes pursued a receding carriage far down the string amid the gaily shifting sunshine and shadow and the fluttering lace and grey feathers of a woman's bonnet. When he spoke at last, it was with an unusual trace of feeling. After all, you know, there are a good many excuses for Richard Carmody. Oh, if it comes to that, there are a good many excuses for Helen de Valorbe, Honoria put in quickly. For, for, the young man repeated, relaxing into the blandest of smiles, yes thanks i see i was right it was unnecessary to name names oh undoubtedly innumerable excuses and of the most valid description were they needed were they not swallowed up in the single self-evident excuse that the lady you mention is a supremely clever and captivating person you think so said honoria think so show me the man so indifferent to his reputation for taste that he could venture to think otherwise still she should have left him alone honoria's indolent reflective speech took on a peculiar intonation and she pressed her long-fingered hands together as though controlling a shudder i am ashamed to confess it i do not like him but as i told you just on that account pardon me on what account 
Miss St. Quentin was quick to resent impertinence, and now momentarily anger struggled with her natural sincerity, but the latter conquered. Again she forgave Mr. Quayle, but a dull flush spread itself over her pale skin, and he perceived that she was distinctly moved. This piqued his curiosity. "'I know I'm awfully foolish about some things,' she said. "'I can't bear to speak of them. I dread seeing them.' The sight of them takes the warmth out of the sunshine. Again Ludovic fell to nursing his knee. What an amazing invention is the feminine mind! What endless entertainment is derivable from striving to follow its tergiversations! And you saw that which takes the warmth out of the sunshine just now, he said. Ah, well, alas for Dicky Carmody! still i can't bear any one not to play fair you should only hit a man your own size i told helen de Valorbe so i'm very very fond of her but she ought to have spared him she paused a moment all the same if i had not promised lady aldham to stay on as she's so poorly i should have gone out of town when i found the carmodies had come up oh it goes as far as that does it ludovic murmured I don't like to see them with all these people. The extent to which he is petted and fooled becomes rather horrible. Are you not slightly, I ask it with all due deference and humility, just slightly merciless? No, no, the girl answered earnestly. I don't think I'm that. The women who run after him and flatter him so outrageously are really more merciless than I am i do not pretend to like him i can't like him somehow but i'm growing most tremendously sorry for him and still more sorry for his mother she was very grand a person altogether satisfying to one's imagination and sense of fitness at home with that noble house and park and racing stable for setting but here she is shorn of her glory somehow the girl rose to her feet with lazy grace she is cheapened and that's a pity there are more than enough pretty cheap people amongst us already oh, i must go there's sir reginald looking for me if i could be sure lady carmody hated it all i should be more reconciled oh, possibly she does hate it all only that it presents itself as the least of two evils there's a touch of dancing dogs about it and that distresses me miss st quentin continued it is lady carmody's role to be apart separate from and superior to the rest well the thing's being done as well as it can be mr quayle put in mildly it shouldn't be done at all the girl declared here i am sir reginald you want to go on i'm quite ready End of chapter 2 of book 4